Here at Seabus Super, over the next three years, we're investing $1 billion into Seabus property. Building high-quality, sustainable developments around Australia. And creating healthy, long-term investments for members like me to enjoy in retirement. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, go to seabussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you this is the final word cricket podcast with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We're Hello. coming to you in a very relaxed fashion. We're sitting on park benches at the Albert Ground, which is a cricket ground on St Kilda Road. Now, because it's on St Kilda Road, it has palm trees, the classic Melbourne palm trees that belong in this climate. It's been one of those perfect days, clear blue sky, not too hot, um, still nice and warm in the evening. And uh, we've been sort of playing cricket here the there is a media 11 game that happens against an mcc team from the 29 club i'm not sure what the 29 refers to but we'll find out shortly and and i think the the overwhelming fact that has to be reported first from the day is that i just showed up to watch adam was playing and Court Collins, bold Brereton. That has to be the story of the day. A, a moment that young Adam Collins would could only have dreamed of. Securing a catch at long on, a big hit down the ground late in the day. Did a fair bit of, of peddling on the spot. Came in, went back, came in, went back. Eventually had to go up AFL style, mark over the head and somehow claimed it off his own football hero, Dermot Brereton. What a moment that must be in the, the Collins psychological life. It was. As Dermy said to me afterwards, you did everything that one would do to drop a catch and then you <laughs> took it. I ran in too hard thinking it wasn't going to carry then had to spool backwards quickly and then stuck up the mitts and took an overhead grab on the boundary <laughs> rope. Probably a, a foot inside the Mm-hmm. The ropes here at Albert Ground. It's a been a great day, really. If I was giving a 30-second summary, I'd say that the Media 11 made 190 in our 35 <laughs> overs, thanks to Daniel Harford's unbeaten half-century, Nick Rewalt as well, and Adam White, some lusty hitting towards the end. We're going to talk to him later about the Big Bash, I should say, along with Damien Fleming. And then we restricted them to about 170-odd. It didn't look likely at the halfway mark when they had a bloke come out and make 66 not out in a hurry, but thanks to a fantastic spell from Brendan Goddard and one from Mark Howard as well, we tied them up. And then we won the game. It was a very solid sort of dot ball procession in yeah. the, the Goddard Howard um, bowling in tandem thing. I think they Brendan, genuinely won us the game. Yeah, Brendan two. Goddard yeah. bowled seven overs on the spin, and I suppose it is one of those things that people who are really good at one sport are more likely to be better at other ones as well. That's but true. it also seems a bit unfair when when you see someone who's that <laughs> good at something, you know, like Nick Rewald as well, just just suddenly turning up and landing the first ball exactly on the spot outside off stump, and you think, come on. Yeah, he's a lovely player. Nick Rewell. He played a couple of very delicate late cuts. Mm-hmm. You don't play them if you're a sort of stop playing when you're 14, yeah. hacking over mid-wicket. He, he obviously could have played and probably did play a decent level of, of cricket before footy took over. But yeah, it, it was a really lovely thing to do. We've, we've done it a few times before, playing with the Media 11 and Jeff, you came out and subfielded when Anthony Hudson went home <laughs> to pick up his daughter, I think it was. I wasn't um, intending that. I just came down to meet you to do the podcast and yeah, then suddenly well, I was being waved at. They're like, get, get some whites. So I was like, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Because, look, I, I think we can be frank with our listeners. I, I am I'm not a coordinated man. 
not a great mover. No, no um, that's, a, that's a reasonable... If anyone that watched our videos of you mm. bowling back in 2018 and the Nets at Abu Dhabi... Um, it's not with, good. It, it's not... It, I mean, it's it, it improved I, but I, thanks I, to our sponsor at the time, but it wasn't great. Everybody self-deprecatingly talks down their sporting ability, right? But it would not be an exaggeration to say that I'm the worst cricketer out of any professional media person who covers cricket <laughs> like that would not be a stretch to say that it's very much true you know I'm usually the worst player in a pub cricket team right. and I'm fine with that I've accepted that that's just how it is and, and that's okay but I was very much not willing to join up and be part of this 11 because for that reason I'm like people who right. can play cricket are playing I'm not going to be myself in front of them yeah. but, but getting dragged onto field suddenly I'm at mid-wicket and I'm like I'm not a mid-wicket I'm a fine leg I am a fine leg only <laughs> that is all I'm supposed to be there for I don't want to have to take catches and I don't want to have to move quickly across the ground and suddenly I'm at cover for the left-hander which I've never fielded before in my life Michael Bevan mid in there at mid-wicket and cover <laughs> side to side and and yeah there was one off, off Goddard that got smashed past me too quickly to even think about trying to die for the catch but there's no way I would have held it anyway but yeah I was just glad it wasn't hit at me because I would have been doing the self-preservation rather than right. than trying to snare it so yeah mercifully not much got hit my way and, and you got the one down the ground at long on there's the catch but we've glossed over the fact that I made a golden globe uh, that's first okay because I, I thought I think I said to Adam White the captain as we were walking off he shouldn't I, have I said, put me ahead of him in hindsight that was a mistake no, but from you, a team management perspective you got out of the way quickly and let him come in I and did. hit sixes at the end but because of uh, Court Collins Bowl Brereton I was like Adam will want the score cut up even with the golden duck <laughs> on it for that reason and your your dad will be even more excited than you he are probably if he will hears be. about this I have a different sort of problem to you about playing these games so you, from your perspective you didn't play cricket growing up therefore Days like today, you know, it could be daunting on a mm. on a. I mean, this must be. If you if you had ever told me you will one day play in a sporting team, including Brendan Goddard, <laughs> Nick Rewalt, <laughs> Damien Fleming, and Dermot Bird, <laughs> we've we've glossed over the fact that Test player Damien Fleming <laughs> bowled two overs, and and I must be said, Flem did. There was a really good kid that played for mm. the other team, Jack. Regrettably, don't remember his last name. Zach, sorry, Zach, and he made sixty six retired, which mm. was the custom today. Well, really, he should have retired at 50, but that's a different story. And <laughs> Flem set him up really well with the slow ball, off-pace slow ball, which he played through the offside. Next ball, quicker bouncer. Flem can still bowl a quicker bouncer at age 51, I think he is. Yep. And top unfortunately, edge. the top edge carried the journey. Maybe it would have been caught had mm. our long leg been on the rope, but nevertheless, yep. it went for six, and he was dragged from the attack by Captain Adam White. <laughs> and Flem's going to join the final word later to talk about the big bash, and not yeah. about that necessarily. But no, your thing about look, I'm, I'm playing in a sports team with a bunch of, you know, athletes, <laughs> and you can see by the way the athletes click into not a different just gear. athletes, but like you know, people who did iconic things in football grand finals you know Goddard yeah. and Rewalt I mean Goddard <laughs> Rewalt and Dermot Burton it's a fair click yeah. and, 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 and Daniel Harford who as yeah. I say batted beautifully and played 150 excellent games for the Hawthorne football club wickets. and a full and, kept and kept, very well and, today and he, he still plays half to yeah. be fair and still is he very much involved in sport with RSN and um, coaching the Carlton AFLW team so he's still in the you know the hmm. sport world but I suppose in my case I played a lot of cricket I played 300 games of senior cricket you know I, I know what it is to be racing around from over to over I just can't bowl anymore because mm. my shoulder's falling off so thus when Whitey and Half were pestering me to bowl I'm like I actually can't get the yep. ball down 22 yep. yards without it without my arm yep. going with it potentially yeah. if I do get it down there my arm will be attached to it's the ball. entirely plausible yeah. and I did bowl a lot in the nets last year in England and that was lovely but it's a lot different as I've learned over the years and 
mishaps I've made bowling in these kind of jazz games, there's a big difference between bowling with your nets in the mates from 22 yards, probably from 20 yards really when you're overstepping, <laughs> compared to the heat of battle. And one thing leads to another and you end up tearing a ligament yep. and then you end up not being able to hold your baby so I declined the <laughs> offer to bowl and stood it yeah long on long off at the end and yeah the catch off Dern was a highlight and we've all had a lovely time and look it's a it, it's one of the great grounds in not just Melbourne but I reckon the Albert ground is it's one of the great grounds full stop it reminds me of the honourable artillery company I think they call themselves in Moorgate mm. where Jeff you and I have called a game many years ago oh, yeah. between a, a, a charity game we did for Gorilla Cricket where Inside the grounds, four walls, if you like, mm. there are buildings everywhere. In the case of the Albert Ground, there's an apartment building where Dermy was fascinated by a bloke who was standing on the balcony with a very hairy back. And then there's the, uh, there's the hotel that the tennis players were at in quarantine. There was a bubble between the ho- quarantine hotel on the southern side of the ground and, and the tennis nets mm. on the northern side. And they were preparing for the Australian Open back right. and forth over the last three weeks or, or so, I suppose, while they were doing their time. But... Yeah, this is one of the great grounds and hopefully over time, we of course both play for the Cricket Writers Club in England and I have visions mm. that the Media 11 and the, and the Cricket Writers Club can be as one and maybe play games against yep. each other and against other clubs and hopefully against the Melbourne Cricket Club again next year in, a, in an Ashes summer. Has anyone made themselves more disliked over, say, the span of a year than Novak Djokovic? Like, Has, has anyone done in their reputation and their their global goodwill more comprehensively <laughs> and and yeah. thoroughly than, than that bloke? Yeah, there's been bigger declines. I mean, I suppose you could argue that Stephen Smith being named the Australian Newspapers Person of the Year in January... <laughs> 2018. And then two yeah. months later being rubbed out of the game might be a similar sudden, decline. I think there is, yeah, there are sudden drops. Different version, isn't it? There, there are sudden drops with one scandalous thing. But in terms of just a consistently, you know, not not making a blue and then apologising and making up for it, but just consistently doubling down yeah. on your shitty behaviour until everyone's... Yeah. on your anti-vax you know, rantings yeah. and, and whatever else that he gets himself involved in mm. these days. Yeah, I, I'd agree that there have been people who have taken a mighty fall in public opinion, but mm. Djokovic is, I suppose, right there on the podium. All right, let's get into the cricket for the show today. The thing okay. we want to start with, because we've been talking about England and India and that test match on our daily shows over the last five nights, so we don't need to do that. But we do need to talk more about the West Indies, because we didn't get to talk about that much on the daily show, although we did a little bit, of course. Kyle Mayers and the truly remarkable match that he played against Bangladesh. The the biggest ever run chase win in Asia. They were set 395 to win. They had half of that team on debut because most of the West Indies senior players didn't actually want to go. Uh, so they had, they had five who might have made it into their best 11. Mm. Two batsmen in Craig Braithwaite and Jermaine Blackwood and then three bowlers, you know, the off-spinner Rakeem Cornwall uh, and then Kemar Roach and Shannon Gabriel. So, you know, five who, who would have been contesting for a spot in a best 11. And then a bunch of players on debut, one of them, Nkrumah Bonner, and another Kyle Mayers, and they put together the main partnership of 216 runs in that fourth innings. And they're playing Bangladesh, who are not a pushover at home anymore. They've beaten, from it. beaten England there, they've beaten Australia yep. there, they've won um, a number of test matches there over the last five this years. This was the ground where they bowled out England in a session. Mm. I mean, it's a while ago now, it's 2016, yep. but, but still, the point remains. And Shakib Hassan was back, which is important for them. You know, he's yep. bat and ball. You know, this, this isn't a team that you would expect a West Indies side uh, of that 
that much greenness to be able to go and compete with. But it wasn't just competing. It's not like needing to chase 220 in the fourth innings. This is 395. There was a long time where the only test matches of note that Bangladesh had won were against the West Indies during a player strike mm. in Bangladesh. That's in right. Floyd Reefer was the captain. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't even tell what year it was. <laughs> yes, a number that came up repeatedly when <laughs> England were defending that this week. Or it might have been India's target more, yeah, than point, India's more target, accurately. Yeah. That team might have played in 2011, 2012, something like that, when there was a player strike going on. This is not too dissimilar. Hmm. They rocked up in, in Bangladesh missing a number of their first-choice players, including their captain. Uh, Craig Brathwaite was given the chance to captain the team. Jermaine Blackwood would have been the only other meaningful senior batsman mm. in the top six, I think, if memory yeah, serves me it. correctly. And so many people... And by the way, that's no judgment. If you're pulling out of a tour of Bangladesh, or anywhere for that matter, on health grounds right now, I'm not judging you. In the same way that I was never judging, or nor should we, Owen Morgan and Alex Hales are pulling out of tours for security reasons a couple of years ago to Bangladesh, as it happens coincidentally. But the fact that they, with that understaffed team, were able to chase down that total, hanging in there throughout the course of the test match and sticking the landing so spectacularly, Mm. this goes down as one of the great West Indian test victories. I mean, in the same week we're talking about one of the great England test victories. Mm. It shouldn't be glossed over. It's akin to when one Australian team was playing in the World Series and another was playing for Australia and they you know, did so well against India in that, in that period. This is kind of like that. And if you lose half your team or more than half your team and you can still compete in Chittagong against a strong Bangladesh team and chase down a target like that, that takes something quite serious inside. And, and they have that. For all of their sort of structural flaws and all of the administrative problems they've endured, no one can ever question the heart of this West Indian team. We saw it at Southampton last July and we've seen it again in Chittagong last week. It was particularly enjoyable watching back over that innings because Kyle Mayer's if you didn't see it, he's a left-hander, so paint this in your mind's eye. He's quite a he's a he's a chunky boy, you know. He's quite a big dude. Yeah, he um, could do without ten, as they say. Um, he's and, a big lad, and, and he's he's sort of got you know a broad chest. Yep. And he faced up. He, he was basically a bowling all-rounder until a couple of years ago, um, until he had an ankle problem and and couldn't bowl so much and, and focused on his batting a lot, and that's become his dominant string in the last couple of seasons. But he, when I was watching him play that innings he really went after it like a sort of good number eight more than a top order player so almost everything was through the offside for the first 140 runs I reckon he drove through cover quite a bit and he he cut behind point a lot he he waited back to the spinners and just kept cutting them away or driving them away behind point and it wasn't you know a sort of elegant graceful Usman Khawaja kind of working through the offside this was just okay the ball's there I'm going to club it pretty hard like you know they weren't ugly shots but they were they were workmanlike shots they were they achieved a purpose rather than being notably aesthetic and then once he got to around 150 and they needed they started losing wickets they were five down and a couple went towards the end he started hitting sixes he was like okay well <laughs> if we're going to win this i'm going to need to do it quickly and they only had a handful of overs to spare at mm, the end as mm. well i think so, with four and a half to Spare yep. or something like that. So he ended up hitting seven sixes in that innings, and that's when he started going not leg side ish, but well, you know, fractionally leg side, long on mostly, just hitting down the ground very solidly, very simply. And it was like he just went after this target in a really basic way, and it worked. It just kept working, and it just kept working. And he ends up 210 not out, and they win the game. Yeah, there's parallels, perhaps more to Casal Pereira than they are Ben Stokes. I know mm. the, the, the quantum of runs or the task was greater but 
Pereira did a similar thing, if I recall correctly. He didn't play in an ostentatious way until the end when yeah. he was batting with the tail and he had no choice but to do so. In the case of what we saw on Sunday, it was bat the way you're batting anyway mm. until the clock's running down and then go up the gears. And yeah. I, I heard a, I read rather a, a fantastic interview that Brad Sunderason wrote with, with his dad and mm. yeah, sort of getting a handle on the unlikely sort of story. You know, yeah. so far away from the Barbados team mm. and kind well, of... yeah, he couldn't get a gig for Barbados. He yeah. had to go to the Windward Islands to get a first-class which, gig. Which, notoriously, the Windward and Leeward Islands have produced fewer and fewer players to the West Indies national team in recent years. Mm. Remember when I was over there a few years ago, there was a... Well, 2015, my first overseas tour, as it happens, there was a genuine belief that they were being overlooked systemically in favour of Jamaica and Barbados and, I suppose, Guyana to an extent as well. But there was a sense that they were, you know, and 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 um, and, uh, and Trinidad, the other sort of yeah, nation, TNT's I suppose, outside got, of that, got the major. Yeah, but push. broadly speaking, there was a sense that the Leeward Islands and the Windward Islands was was kind of on the back burner, and the cricket there mm. was diminished accordingly. And to see a player who went from a bigger country like Barbados to play in the domestic competition and get his chance there mm. and get to the national team in this way, it's the perfect modern West Indies cricket story, really, and all the context around who was going to be available and, and so on. If you shelve all of that and just look at the innings itself and mm. how he got there, it's a remarkable individual feat. And because of it, you know, the highest fourth innings debut, 100 ever. You know, what was the highest before that? 112, you said, on our live show the other day. Yeah, 112 in men's tests, 117 in women's. So if, if you start looking at a couple of the numbers, they're pretty ridiculous. So Gordon Greenwich is the only other player to win a test match with a double century in the fourth innings. Which was at Lords in 84. Yeah. Yep. So that's the only time that happened. That was well into right. his career. As far as hundreds on debut, so in men's and women's tests combined, 119 tons on debut. Eight of them have been in the fourth innings. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And the highest of those eight was 117. So right. he goes on to 210 not out. Yeah, currently got the highest test average of all time with 250 runs in the match for one dismissal. And of those eight fourth innings tons on debut, only one ended up in a test match win which was Yassir Hamid in 2003 playing a much worse Bangladesh team. Um, mm-hmm. Yassir Hamid on debut made twin tons. He's the, he's the only player behind Lawrence Rowe, the only other player than Lawrence Rowe to make twin tons on debut. So that's it as far as players being able to make a debut 100 in the fourth innings. But it's such a spectacular gap yeah. I mean, 112 or 117. Yeah, to 210. To 210. It's like, it's, ridiculous. it's like, I mean, it's it's like when Rohit Sharma mm. struck the world record in, in 50 overs cricket. I think he... 264. 268 or 264, whatever it was. Yeah. I, 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 this is reductive and it's not the perfect comparison, but I, at the time I remember writing that it was like Usain Bolt running the, the 100 metres in 8.6 seconds. Now yeah. I know that that's not in any way perfect but this has a similar vibe to it really yeah. doesn't it it's so much beyond anything else and and so and and of hundreds on debut there have been six other double centuries on debut and they've only they've all been in the first or second innings of a test yeah yeah, you yeah. Know, they're all when the pitch is good so to do this is is ridiculous and i was also interested you mentioned his dad in that interview obviously i went and started googling his father's cricket career as well <laughs> after that because he captained West Indies under 19s yep. at one point and there's this other interesting note that Shirley Clark his dad born in 1977 Kyle May was born in 1992 so his dad was 15 years old when Kyle was born you know which doesn't necessarily 
make your life easier if you're a kid of very young parents and that's obviously something that you know that's a part of his life as well so it's just another strand of this story that's particularly fascinating yeah and it'd be great if he can kick on from here they have one more test match in Bangladesh and I, I suppose in terms of managing expectations he's done a pretty awful job of that <laughs> it reminds me of Matthew Sinclair double yeah. hundred on debut and there was really nothing that Sinclair could ever do again I remember he made a hundred against Australia in 2000 and it was like it meant a lot because mm. it was that reinforcement that he was a player of serious talent but he didn't have the sort of career you'd expect after his extraordinary start in the final mm. week of 1999 against the West Indies as it happens but yeah I hope for I hope in this instance that we this is the start of something and it's not kind of a I don't know a pub quiz question yeah I hope it's not a Andy Gunsholm yeah style thing I hope that this gives them a chance but equally I hope Bangladesh bounce back and thrash them next week because mm. like you know they they're should. at home and that's what they should do right yeah 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 exactly your boy Mahedi Hassan making 100 so you know, good pretty, pretty happy about so, that so so I said it on the daily show but I've been going banging on about his batting for like three or four years now and that it's finally been realised on the mm. test stage that's a that's a big step in the right direction for a player who I still think I still think could be like a generational cricketer from Bangladesh mm. we saw what he did in 2016 against England and we saw glimpses thereafter more with the red ball than the white but I think Mahedi Hassan as a complete package could be a very very special talent over the next 10 years in Australian cricket, domestically, they had the, um, the Australian Cricket Awards in online form only. Beth Mooney winning yeah. the Belinda Clark Award. Steve Smith got the AB medal that everyone wanted him to get last year. But Beth significant being the first sort of non-big three player, if you like, you know, outside Perry and uh, Lanning and Healy to win that award for, what, seven or eight years. It's a great story. Beth Mooney moved to Queensland when I think she was 12 years old. She lived in Shepparton growing up. She got sort of plucked from, I think it was Harvey Bay she was spending time and, and ended up in the in the sort of Queensland system thereafter. Mm. You know, the classic path of, I think she was playing boys cricket, then ended up in a girls team, asked to join in. And there's this like pivotal moment in her career where she's sitting on the balcony at Allen Borderfield and there's a conversation that's had with her at the time about what does she want to do? She's like, I want to play for Queensland here at the Allen Borderfield and I want to play for Australia. And lo and behold, mm. this year was the year when she did both. She'd done it before, of course, but this year after being player of the World Cup, she kicked on, uh, had you know the year of her life. There were so many queries around her fitness around 2016 and 2017. To be you know fairly frank about it, we were very much on our bandwagon in 2015, 16, yeah. thinking that she should replace Alyssa Healy. Now we were wrong in saying that because Alyssa Healy demonstrated clearly in the years to come that she had so much upside and finally realised her potential. But Mooney, as a specialist bat, she was told by Matthew Mott. Mm get your shit together when it comes to fitness or really you're not going to be part of our thinking longer term. She did that. She's a relentless worker on her game. She's enjoyed these opportunities that have been afforded to her over the last couple of years and and now she stands head and shoulders really above as, as Australia's opening bat. You, you know, I know Elisa Healy's with her, but Elisa Healy can bat anywhere. Mm. Mooney is a, 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 such a, a foundation stone for that team. It, it enables players like Lanning and Perry and Haynes, who have all had fantastic years as well. Perry less so, but the others, of course, through the mm. World Cup and, and then against that you know, weaker New Zealand team, but they still whitewash them. Yep. Uh, well, no, they might have lost 
lost they, one game. Yeah, they whitewashed the ODIs and, and lost, lost one, one T20. T20 yeah. and, but I think a lot of it comes back to the stability that Mooney provides at the top mm. of the list. That quarterfinal across the road at the Junction Oval, the quasi quarterfinal as we called it at the time during the, the World T20, mm. they needed to win that game. And who batted through the innings? Beth Mooney. Yep. The World Cup final, Alyssa Healy out of the block, spectacular innings. Who's there batting through? Who's taking three fantastic catches in the outfield as well? Something that she acknowledges wouldn't have happened when she was less fit. Mm. Beth Mooney. Yep. So I, I think it's a great story about the professionalism that we've seen in, in women's cricket over the last five or six years through not just the national team but the state system that she's been able to make this extraordinary rise and she's very much earned those gongs this year. It was a year when it was largely decided on T20 performance. They only had three one-day internationals in the whole voting period. So the ODI player of the year went to Rachel Haynes for her batting in those three games. And they don't have a, a test player of the year award for the women because they only play one test every second year so you know that can be a factor in terms of who gets the Belinda Clark award you might remember last year Elise Perry got the overall award even though Elisa Healy was the T20 player of the year and the one day player of the year which in any other year would guarantee you won the overall medal but didn't because of the the greater weighting of votes for the test matches Um, so that was an interesting one that you know Mooney got it for her T20 prowess and that's kind of how it worked out for Steve Smith as well because Australia, the men's team didn't play a lot of cricket over that voting period. You know, the the number of votes it was won with was less than half what David Warner won it with last year, I think, because of the amount of cricket they played. And they played so little test cricket in that voting period as well that, you know, basically Steve Smith made 100 in the SCG test and a couple of hundreds in one-day games at the SCG and almost on that basis alone won the award because he would have got 36 votes for his test match and 18 votes apiece for his one-day internationals. Yeah, and he made a great 100 in India back in January, which was inside the voting block. And which look, would be in another 18 votes there. Yeah, yeah. and look, it's fine. Like, it's fine. Like, yeah. It is what it is. Like, Sorry to repeat a cliche that we hear all the time about COVID, but no big deal. They played less cricket. Smith hoarded votes in mm. games where he dominated it wasn't a great year for the Australian cricket team taken as a whole given that they lost the test series and they didn't win the one day series in England and they didn't win the T20s either I mm. don't think it's funny I was there for all of them but I can't remember who actually won the series which might say a bit about the wallpaper nature of white ball cricket but anyway the point here is they didn't dominate the year it wasn't like the 2019 year when this time last year it might have been at the end of 2019 we were calculating the percentage of games that Australia won it was an extraordinary percentage. They won like 74% of their fixtures mm. across the board and we were able to celebrate a fantastic comeback after 2018. This wasn't that, but that's informed by the fact that they didn't play so many bilateral series along the way. So, you know, the fact that Smith wins on a, I suppose, a voting system is a bit diluted. Okay, fine. But what I would note is that he's won the medal three times now, I think I'm right in saying. David Warner's won it three times. You know, that kind of speaks to the idea that... Might even be fourth for Smith. Four is it, sorry. fourth. Right. So, in any case... I think, because Michael Clark won it four times, and maybe Ricky Ponting won it four okay, times. Okay, right. So yeah, yeah he's, he's at the top he's of the right tree there. as far as that's concerned. Okay, fair enough. So, well, I suppose what I was going to point to is that for all of the criticism of Warner and Smith 
I'm not sure about at it. different it's intervals. Back in my mind, I think for yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not as though there's someone else jumping yeah. out winning this. It's not as though Marta Slabashane won the award. It's not as though there's mm. someone else. It's not as though Usman Khawaja ever won an AB medal. Mm. Like it's worth just remembering. And stepping back from it a bit in current form and whatever, there's a reason why these guys who are at the peak of their powers across three formats win the award, and that's why they're they're considered to be the most important players in Australian cricket. It's mm. not by coincidence. It's not by some graduated belief in their ability. It's because they continue to year after year stack up the numbers even though this year it was a fraction different the WNCL is underway Women's National Cricket League the 50 over competition domestically Tassie won two from two the ACT got a win you'll be pleased to know oh, did they? they knocked off Queensland fantastic um, they've lost their other couple of fixtures the Meteors yeah the Meteors um, they've got a, an okay team this year they've pulled together a few reasonable there players there should be an ACT team in the Sheffield Shield Matt McGann one of our patrons sends me um, from time to time a proposal yeah. he's got for eight first class teams mm-hmm. and um, I fully agree with them it's a conversation for one another in the, time in the territory I think there should be one in the ACT yeah. and the NC yeah. I think Why we not? should have eight teams in first class cricket in Australia Darcy at, Short skippering the territory side you know what I don't Jake care who, captains, at the top I don't, of the I don't care who captains the mm-hmm. team the point is, is that I think we've got a talent pool that's, that's I'm just enough. naming the only two players I can think of from the NC yeah maybe Marto will captain them yeah. and nevertheless I, I love it when the ACT do well in the women's cricket because it reinforces that there is that, that pool of talent in women's cricket so why can't yeah. it be there for men and then there was speaking of pools of talent um, a big match today on the day that we're recording Victoria and New South Wales with a couple of quasi national sites you know Australian representatives they are everywhere. genuinely two national teams if Victoria and New South Wales turned out in a World Cup I'm not saying they'd, they'd make the final <laughs> I'm not saying they'd make the final but I go bloody close they'd make the final four well, I mean, they definitely beat New Zealand, who, who would joke against any Australian yes, yes. side, unfortunately. That's the way it's been. Yeah, the Vicks beat New South Wales today, which is interesting. They haven't done that all that often. New South Wales usually win everything. Sophie Molyneux, four wickets. Georgia Wareham, three wickets. Kim Garth, the Irish Victorian, two for 25 off about nine overs. Um, kept them to 241 all out. And then Elise Villani made 100 at a run a ball. Lanning made 52, and they ran it down by eight wickets with uh, eight overs to spare. Irish Victorian. There have been some over the years, haven't mm, there, in the Jim sporting? Steins. I was going to say, Kim Garth might have a, a career trajectory like Jimmy Steins yeah. as far as becoming a, an Australian player. Of course, Jimmy represented Australia in, in uh, what do they used to call it? International rules. Right. After having had that famous career at Dublin, then Melbourne, and maybe Kim Garth might be on a similar yeah. path. Yeah, so that's, that is underway. The first few games weren't broadcast, which um, ruffled a few feathers, but they have started broadcasting the more recent games. I'm not sure if it's going to be everything, but in any case, it's underway, and we've got the new schedule for the Sheffield Shield and the men's 50-over comp as well. That's stretching out into mid-April by the time the Shield final happens. They've cut two games from the regular Shield season, and the 50-over comp will be five per team and they're they're spaced out in between the shield fixtures as per the the old-fashioned way yeah it's great where you used to play a shield game on the back of or the front of a one-day game plenty of that coming up to get what they call the marsh cup isn't it the 50 over comp that's it um but, uh, take victoria for <laughs> example was so good the first year of that just every shot of sean marsh with, with the stumps behind him with marsh written up yes. like this is my this is my domestic well, competition. well sean marsh was the domestic player of yeah, the year on, on, on the australian cricket awards night the other day and, and by the way before i move on from the women's game lisa salaka was the third inductee to the australian mm. cricket hall of fame and um, we didn't get a chance to talk about that last week but she's done the double she was the an icc hall of famer yep in August last year. She's now an Australian Cricket Hall of Famer in December 2021. Mm-hmm. And I've interviewed her for the Women's Cricket Zone magazine uh, for 
the edition that's coming out this month and like you kind of when you talk to her you kind of remember that she's part of that generation before professionalism she was working at Cricket New South Wales in the back office and in a cricket development role and a coaching role she worked her way up the whole time she was a mm. semi-pro if you want to say it player she had a full-time job and she still managed to achieve what she did. And these days we see her all over the world commentating one of the sort of, I suppose, the most authoritative voices on men's and women's cricket, a fine career. She won the Belinda Clark medal a couple of times yeah. in 2007 and 2008. So it's not as though she was a second-tier player. I think she was the ICC Player of the Year one year as well as part of that golden passage she had for Australia. So, yeah, there's a that's a great story to tell, which we neglected to mention last week because we didn't get the news of the yeah. third inductee until the, the AB medal night. But um, the Victorian example, they play five Shield games and five Marsh Cup games all in like six weeks. It's an absolute smorgasbord for <laughs> lovers of domestic cricket, especially Victorian fans because they played one fewer game in that, that batch in Adelaide back, feels like a million years ago, but back in October and November. I think we did the first of those podcasts when I was at Rachel's parents' place, my partner's parents' mm. place, around the um, the US election day. To think that we're, we're, we're about to go back into the Shield now is kind of cool that that, that season spans such a, a long period of time. But um, yeah, uh, the Victorians... Right, like post-inauguration day. The post-inauguration day, again. exactly. It the, feels the like traditional all... resumption of the Sheffield yeah, Shield yeah, yeah. season. But so much cricket, a few games at the G, a couple at Junction Oval, and it's the same all, all around the country, by the way. I'm just picking Victoria because they play five, and I think everyone else bar maybe WA play four. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to be fantastic. Some of them are televised. All of them are streamed. A lot of the test players will play. Not all of them. New South Wales are going to carefully manage the fast bowlers, and as they should. I wouldn't want to see Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark playing four first-class games in four weeks. That would make me shudder. <laughs> but they'll, they will all play at some stage or another. Of course, they're not in the T20 squad over in New Zealand. So I think we saw today uh, they're going to implement a rotation policy. The battle of the acronyms. We talked about Cricket South Africa um and Cricket Australia last week, the cancellation of that Australia's tour to South Africa. CSA are pissed. Yeah. They're really pissed about this. And they're um, talking. And they, they, they have been briefing South African journalists heavily about why they're angry um, and the details of that. And not without some justification, yep. it seems like. When you you go through the, the escalating demands that CA put to CSA, according to what they've been briefing out. Uh, first, that the staff at the hotels where Australia would be staying needed to quarantine for three weeks rather than two weeks. Then that the South African team couldn't stay at the same hotel. Then that they wanted a private airstrip to land a chartered flight at. Then that their aeroplane was too big for the private airstrip, so they had to get VVIP use of the international airport in Johannesburg so they could uh, land and get off the plane without having to go through the terminal. Then having to buy an Australian contact tracing system when there would be no one to cross over with to trace, then having to get priority access to medical facilities. These these are all of the things that, that CSA has been briefing out to journalists to say that this is what happened. And they've um, put a letter of complaint through to the ICC as well to say that basically that it's unfair for countries without the financial resources to be uh, stitched up by the ones who do by having cancellations at the last minute. It's it's all pretty hectic. And in the meanwhile, CA's been very quiet about it. Yeah, and if you want to read about South African cricket and the internals, Neil Manthorpe runs a blog called Manners on Cricket. I'd follow it uh, if I were wanting to know more about this. Manners had the good oil uh, and wrote much of what you've relayed there. For those uh, from Crick Info, did the same. And she also reported that 
the CSA want compensation via the ICC mm. for CA pulling out of the tour. Look, anyone that is spinning a story from one end, I mean, mm. I know CA have been quite conservative about their response. That, to be frank, they're not responding. They're like they're leaving sleeping dogs lie, so to speak. I don't think they want to get involved in a in a public slanging match through the media. So I'm sure there is another side to the story. But well, I mean. From CSA's perspective, they've been fucked over and they are not going to back away. And nor would you expect them to because they did host Sri Lanka back in December and January. And notwithstanding the conversation that we had on this corresponding uh, show last week, Jeff, where we kind of explained the nuances of that, if you just scale it all back, what their argument is is that a team has travelled here a couple of months ago. Why is it not good enough for you? Mm. Why do we lose all this revenue? And why can't we find a way of finding some degree of compensation for it via the ICC, given that the ICC oversee the World Test Championship? It's not completely crazy. Mm. I don't think they'll get anywhere. I think it's relatively moot. But it's important to note in terms of the geopolitical yeah. situation with, I say geopolitical about the ICC, about the way they support each other with different motions and all the rest of it, that they've clearly found themselves a, a, a national board, CA this is, who yeah. are not going to be supporting them on anything anytime soon. Well, I, I think in terms of putting in the claim for compensation and so on, I doubt they expect they're actually going to get anything, but it's more about registering the depth of the grievance. I think that's making right. Making exactly. it known yeah. how badly CA owe them for next time or for, for whenever it's... it's picked up you know down the track and there is some fairness in that because csa's house is in such disorder south african cricket's been in an absolute shambles of its own making over the last two or three years which we've talked about a couple of times on the show Mm -hmm. in the last few months you can scroll back through the timeline if you want to get the detail on that their financial situation is is dire and so the money they're losing from this tour, yeah, it's important, but it's also not that much of the money overall that they've lost through their own mismanagement over the last few years. So there are, there are different ways in which your sympathies can lie. But fundamentally, they did have this, this tour lined up. They'd met all the demands. They kept getting given new demands. They kept meeting them. And it doesn't take a completely cynical perspective to suggest that Maybe Cricket Australia kept upping the demands, hoping that that would be too much. You know, if, if they wanted to pull out of the tour, you know, if that was how they were thinking about it, I don't know. Yeah. What what CA have said is that they're acting on medical advice, but as has been pointed out by Neil Manthorpe, they haven't said what medical advice. They haven't been specific about it. There's been there's been no transparency about that, and and so there is room to be suspicious. Yeah, it, the way Manners wrote it up, it certainly feels like that. I mean, again, I'll carefully word this because we haven't heard a response from CA about that article and I I don't want to sort of imply or or give the impression that that is exactly how it was. But Mm. the way that Manners expressed it, it was like, I don't know, you're trying to get your girlfriend in high school to break up with you so you continue to act terribly in a way to guarantee she'll break up with you rather than being forced in a position where you break up with her because you can't, you know, bear to do that and you haven't got the guts to do it. That's how he presented it. And and I think the other part of it is that the reality of the tours that Cricket Australia has cancelled over the last couple of years... It looks bad, doesn't it? If you well, It looks bad. Since the start of COVID, they've cancelled Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, Bangladesh and South Africa while meeting all demands for playing England and playing India. They went to England. They've also met the demands for players going to the IPL and that will happen again come April. Players will go to the IPL and again. And that's the bit that looked the worst. I think yep. that's the bit that looked the worst. That The idea that there's an assumption that the IPL, and this is in the Manthorpe piece, mm. that the IPL is safe, is safe <laughs> even though the IPL is being played in India compared to where yep. it was played in 
in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Sharjah yeah. last year yeah. that they're drawing a parallel between the two and you know that medical advice the nebulous idea of medical advice yeah. I mean, you know when all that's stacked up I kind of get that when you look at all the countries that have been overlooked and Cricket South Africa in the piece that Fides Munda wrote, they are of the view that why is it that these mm. poorer countries are on the receiving end? Why shouldn't there be a compensation fund for the, quote, poorer countries? I hate mm. describing them that way, but it's impossible not to when, when you're looking at it from this perspective. Yeah. Whereas the wealthier countries, the big three, who, you know, as recently as last year, all supported a candidate to be chair. Like, you know, they still mm-hmm. carry a lot of weight, the mm-hmm. three of them together. There, there's a bit going on there. Yeah, and, and if you look at it from the point where CA started cancelling games, if you go from then through to the end of the upcoming Ashes series, they will have played 11 matches against India, or 10 matches against India, 11 matches against England, and no matches against anyone else bar this little New Zealand tour with the, the Big Bash All-Stars that, that's going on for some T20s. They won't have toured or played against any other teams in that time. They'll go to the T20 World Cup, presumably, if that's on, but they won't have done any other bilateral touring that's not India yeah. or England for, what, a, well, couple, of a couple of years? Yeah, and so I think Tom O'Neill made this point on Twitter. You look at a player like Stephen Smith, peak of his powers, missing a, a shitload of cricket. Yeah. And, look, you know, I, I, it's hard to be emphatic. It's hard to be effusive about these matters because there's so much going on that we'll probably never really know about. But, yeah, perception is a bitch of a thing mm. when it comes to the way this is played out. And whether that perception marries reality, it probably doesn't. But nevertheless, there's a there's a view that's forming that Australia will play when it suits them to play and they wait when they don't. Whether it, again, whether it marries up with reality, each individual it series... It doesn't matter at this point because Yeah, of I agree. Because each individual series, you can point at Zimbabwe and mm. go, well, that wasn't going to work because of the... You can point at Bangladesh, you can point at Afghanistan. You can point at all of them yeah. and, and individually identify why. But you could also, I suppose, in that respect say, well, then how do they get to England? Yeah. So yeah. that, that's, that's the, that, that's when, the hurdle. When there from, was enough money on the line, it was no longer too hard. Yeah, but, they found a way to make it work. It was, yeah. And, and look, you, you can look prospectively as well, can't you? They're meant to go to the West Indies later in the year. Yeah. Now, that's a white ball tour where it'll be on the middle of the night and, you know, really, yeah. is anyone going to give a fuck? You went to the West Indies in 2016 to cover mm-hmm. a white ball tour and, you know, I cover the Australian team pretty closely. Mm. I could not tell you one thing that happened in that tour apart from Maxi getting dropped. Mm. And I and suspect... Maxi got dropped after that tour. Well, I think he got yeah. dropped in, inside that tour for Travis Head for his debut. But nevertheless, the idea mm. that, that nobody who's following yeah. it closely, let alone someone at yeah. home... The South Africa-West Indies Tri-Series of 2016, I can tell you about, but probably no one else could tell you about. Yeah, and, and, and the reason I raise that yeah. is, is that will that be an easy one to jettison as well? Uh, I'm sure yeah, it will. Well, time will sure tell. it'll be pretty time easy. Yeah. And, and also in terms of, you know, talking about say, oh, it's not worth going through the hassle of quarantine for just a couple of games against Bangladesh. Well, why don't you play more games against Bangladesh? Why don't you make it worthwhile? Yeah. You know, there is that yeah. as well. You don't have to only play three ODIs. Well, as know. we discussed already, the Windies made, yeah. made it work in terms of their quarantine against Bangladesh, and I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on the, the COVID situation in Bangladesh now compared to what it was in mm. June last year when Australia opted out. But again, it, it stands out. Mm. It stands out. And it's unavoidably the case that it stands out. The sun is setting at the Albert ground. Uh, a quick breather. And then we're going to have a uh, happy birthday, Sachin, which we haven't had for a couple of months. There's a lot to catch up on. And uh, a little chat with Damien Fleming and Adam White about the Big Bash League. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Jeff, usually in the middle of The Final Word, uh, we talk about 
one of our sponsors. Let's call it as it is. We normally talk about Wisden yep. or Zolio yep. or Lord's Taverners yep. or C Super. God yep. bless them. But we've got no one to talk about today because this is a show that was... It falls in the gap. It falls it, in the it's, gap. It's like uh, my housemate was once riding. Uh, he got a fancy new bike with those little skinny tyres um, <laughs> and then he rode over like a stormwater grating and the wheel just went down in between the slots in the grating. Well, this is his episode. One of the more comical things you can see. Suddenly after bike disappears under the under the ground. This is the stormwater grating episode. It is, it is. And cross my mind mm. that we might want to just talk about the opportunities that exist this year in 2021. Let's be blunt. The final word has grown considerably in the last 12 months, and we're fucking proud of that fact. Through COVID, it could have hit the wall for a number of reasons, but we kicked on, we made more of the show, and the only reason it was possible to make more of the show was the extraordinary support we received from our patrons. But it means that we now have a a bigger base from people around the cricketing world. That's been augmented by our unexpected YouTube success in recent times. Uh, who knew that YouTube was a thing? Certainly not Jeff or I. We thought that no. Rob Alinda was YouTube. Now, evidently, we are as well, albeit in a very sort of small well, like sense. Well, like the tiny little um, sucker fish that attached to the bottom of the shark that is Rob yes. Alinda. Well, we're going to have, I don't know, 10,000 subscribers in the next couple of days. We're going to have 2 million downloads on the podcast in the last, I think it's 18 months or something like that on the, on the, uh, on the Omni feed, which you're all listening to now via iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever it is. Basically, what we're saying today is that if you want your brand to partner with The Final Word in 2021, this is the perfect time to send us an email. And if you want to get in touch, Jeff, it's very easy to do so. Yeah, um, you can just email us. We have an email address. It's pretty simple. It's finalwordcricket at gmail.com. Drop us a line. It depends what you sell. If you're a sports betting company, no. We're not, we're not working with you. Um, if you're in the arms industry, uh, if you're selling, say, mines, if you're selling weaponry. Nukes, we're not doing it. Not doing it. And we don't just do a bog standard radio ad either, by the way. We don't just sort of read through a few boring dot points. We make it fun. If you know what our Wisden ads sound like, if you know what our Zolio ads sound like, we could have that similar sort of editorial style conversation whilst telling the story of your company. Wouldn't that be grand? Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. (laughs) Hi, my name's Kate Cross and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins coming to you from the Albert Cricket Ground in Melbourne on St Kilda Road. We wanted to talk about the Big Bash League today, but we realised that we didn't actually know enough about it to do that. But luckily, we had uh, Damien Fleming, who has watched a lot of it on the Seven Network, and Adam White of RSN Radio, who has watched all but one game of the Big Bash League, <laughs> I'd divine. I think that might be ever. I mean, Probably Whitey, ever. Whitey, this season, he said he missed When we first one. met Whitey, when we first started hanging out with Whitey, I don't know what... Five or six years yeah. ago, the Big Bash. I mean, it was a thing, hmm. but it wasn't, you know, the thing. The thing. And Whitey, I remember going to the pub with him a number of times and watching games and being just astonished by his bank of knowledge. <laughs> and I'm glad he's been able to share it with us. And I think next year we actually might make Whitey part of the show through the Big Bash because nobody knows more about it than him. That is true, and that is what we discussed on the way to the ground this morning. We said, "Who should we talk to about the Big Bash?" I was like, "There is one man there <laughs> who is the person to speak to." Uh, let's do that next. Here he is. We've got Damien Fleming and Adam White with us because but look, I want to be honest about this. Adam and I didn't really watch any Big Bash. You know, there were a lot of test matches on. We saw some bits and pieces, but we weren't really up with it. And and I feel like you would have, both would have been. 
to Cricket Australia say it's the highest rating, most people, most populated big bash in the history of the BBL? It's, you know, it's been going 10 years now. So you two missed out. It was kind of a miracle they got it on at all, Whitey, because there were so many changes of venues, of cities, of chopping everything around. Everyone's playing in Canberra, everyone's playing on the Gold Coast, and they're not playing in Perth because of this and that. It was a fairly miraculous effort to make it happen. It was, and I think it's a triumph for Cricket Australia that they got it away the way they did. They were criticised at the start of the summer for all the uncertainty, but when you look back on it, they did an amazing job to dodge the COVID breakouts and all that sort of thing and and play. And I think in a lot of ways, where they played a lot of cricket was where they were good cricket wickets. So if you think of the games at Marnica, certainly the games at Belrive, a lot of games in Adelaide, they played on good batting wickets, which I think meant that it was better cricket, their higher scores. We saw some really good cricket and I think probably better than the last two or three years. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, Cricket Australia, done well. We've got a whole summer completed international cricket and BBL obviously there. I was intrigued. It wasn't a bad BBL at all. Like, we certainly got the two best teams, well coached. You know, Perth Scorch has made the most of three good overseas. You know, I don't think... I know there was COVID problems with that with other teams, but I don't know if they had the power of Livingston Roy and Munro knowing that they had a good domestic... I mean, that back Kelly didn't play a game. Like, he's a very good BBL team. But in the end, the Sixers, who only played at home for the final... And they dominated number two. The last three games against them at Marnica twice, Challenger final, and at home, well played, well coached. And also what I like, they actually, uh, Dan Christian, a big in. You know, they didn't know Karen wasn't going to play the whole year. Brathwaite was a lot better bowler than I thought they got. But what they also did going back to back, they got improvement out of experienced players in Hughes and Silk. Like, for me, I classify those two as accumulators, haven't they? You know, they hit the gaps, they run hard, and I think the surge worked, you know, pretty well for Silk, but through that he actually realised he had a little bit of power. So I like how it was a hungry team that was looking to go back-to-back that didn't rest on their laurels and actually had improvement in some established players like Hughes and Silk. They've got great role players, the Sixers. They all know their role that they've got to play and they play it really well. So rather than having four or five just really good batsmen, they've got batsmen that play particular roles for the circumstance. So you talk about Silk, you know, if they are three for 50, he can play a particular role. If they're going really well, maybe he doesn't bat at all. But you've got, you know, Christian in that middle order. They had Brathwaite. They had, I still think, really underrated player is Abbott. I I, I just don't think we realise how good he is and he came in at the end. Then you've got the embarrassment of bringing in uh, or Bachelor Riches of being able to bring in someone like Enriquez. But everyone that played, played their role. You know, Pope comes in, plays his role. Then he's out. Manetti, same thing. So such great depth in their squad. But to me, the highlight almost of the entire tournament was the final series of James Vince. Uh, what he was able to do in the, the qualifying final and then back it up in the final. He almost single-handedly won them those two matches with the way he played. And he's just such a beautiful cricketer. He plays proper cricket shots. It was a bit like the year that Usman Khawaja did the same yeah. thing in the finals where he just was a stroke player peeling off beautiful half-centuries at the top. He caresses the ball. He doesn't bludgeon it, which is what you usually associate with, with Big Bash cricket. He's, he's a great player to watch. So like, why is it that, because when I look at the Big Bash, I sort of expect it to be a bit random year to year, that any team, you know, like the Renegades came up and won a title and then absolutely went to shit. Why is it that 
the Perth Scorchers and the Sydney Sixers have been so consistently in finals, winning titles over you know ten years of the Big Bash. Really, they've been the ones up there just about every year. Yeah, and you chuck in Sydney Thunder when they won. Yeah, there was nothing before that, nothing out of that. They were a bit better this year, I reckon, consistency-wise. But I think it's the same. It's 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 the it's the coaching, it's the leadership. You know, even with someone and the topping up, like you know, to get Dan Christian, you know what you get? A winning mentality. You know, how much value do you put on winning IP? And then you hear that in the bus ride to the final, you know, he's gone through every player individually, even when they weren't playing, and the coaches and gave him a message. I mean, if you're in that team, you're just thinking, God, how confident is this guy? You know, how much does this mean to him? We're all relaxed and we're on that way. The Scorchers have been a bit wobbly the last couple of years, but it got back to um, really good defensive bowling. And, and in the end, I think, and I heard him in the final a little bit, that Hardy was targeted, had to go to Livingston. They didn't bowl forward one more over. But for the Sixers, there's not a lot to target. You target one, you've still got Moses Henriquez up your sleeve. So it's depth, it's getting your overseas right, and you've got to be well coached. You've got to have a winning culture. So the Sixers have really pushed that. And the Scorchers, I mean, uh, you know, Adam Vogue is still an, um, you know, quite an inexperienced coach, but he played in three of those finals, I think. So when it comes to T20 cricket, he's got that winning culture as well. I think that's exactly right. Depth is so important. You think of the players that sit there with their fluorescent vests on and don't play, they could get into most other teams. The experience of those two sides and the coaching. I mean, I still don't think Greg Shipper gets the accolades he should get for what he's done over such a long period of time in a variety of different forms of the game. And it doesn't matter that he's, he's getting on in age, but he still finds a way. And I just think he's underrated what he's able to do. Tasmania, Victoria, now doing what he's done in New South Wales, but also what he's done overseas. You talk about winning culture. He knows how to win and he knows how to bring pieces from other teams into his team to make his team better. Yep, certainly Chippy's been very underrated. Not, uh, you know, and he's not someone that seeks the accolades. You, know, you can't get to interview him, do you? Like, he puts everyone else up there. So, you know, that's, that's part of the puzzle. But it also says to Australian cricket, you know, at his age... You know, we won't want to get rid of good coaches too early. You know, he's got a lot to offer, you know, just the BBL in, in, in Sydney Six at the moment. But, God, in Victoria, you want to make sure that he's mentoring all the coaches from Chris Rogers at the top to the under-17s and 19s, male and female. So, yeah, no doubt that's a win. I, you know, I, I thought it was, you know, for me it's still very long tournament. I think early on... Yeah, as opposed to when it was shorter, you can drop a few early and, oh, we'll make it up later. There's not that intensity. I'd love to get back to that at some stage. But I reckon, you know, pretty much after the test matches, you know, next summer will be a bit different. Sydney test earlier. Love to see the Aussie boys playing and a potentially a little bit earlier final. But the finals all in all were, you know, high quality and really engaging. And then it's an old man's game, which Dan Christian always says. And if you look through the list, the old blokes did well again. But good to see Philippi, good to see Richardson, you know, right up the top there. So, you know, there is youngsters still performing well. And I look forward to those two in particular getting into more Australian teams. Was there anything particularly that you both enjoyed about this season, you know, anything that jumps out? 
I think the batting was better, I think, the last few years. And one of the reasons why Channel 7 particularly were worried about the ratings dropping was that we're getting too many grinding sort of games. And I think that had a bit to do with the condition of the pitch uh, in a number of matches. But I just think whether it was the third overseas player or I'm not really entirely sure, we saw better cricket. And um, as a result of that, more watchable cricket. And the ratings don't lie. And I'm a bit like you, Flem. I kind of feel that... Australia Day should be the finishing point of the Big Bash. But then when you look at the ratings and saw how good they were through the final series, you go, well, people want to watch it. So it's a it's a balancing act. But, yeah, my gut feeling is it goes a little bit long, but certainly had my attention from the start to the end. I mean, we'll, we'll have a look how they break down the ratings as well because, you know, for it to, to have currency at free-to-air, you know, it has to rate a certain a lot. Like when you put the collective ratings in, Mate, that's fantastic, but, you know, whether it rates up against the, you know, the reality shows and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, an Australia Day thing, you know, a holiday, you know, could potentially work there. I think the three overseas worked. As I said, Scorchers did it better than anyone, and what happened, you know, they got to the final. The new rules, you know, they didn't use the X Factor. You know, Joel Paris 15 times. I don't... The X Factor, you know, for me was when there was a really bad injury, I, I liked how they could replace the injured player and they should be able to do that straight away. The power surge, you know, I, I think worked well, but it made overs five and six quite predictable. You knew who was going to bowl. You knew the way they were going to play. And then, um, you know, for the, uh, the bash boost, for me it's still a bit negative. I'd rather see a bonus point for playing well. And, you know, whether it's like the old Ford Ranger, you know, if, if you get the, if you bowl them out or you get the runs within 75 or 80% by the 15th, 16th over, I'd rather you get a bonus point for playing well and where you win as the losing team is you stop them doing that. So that was what I'd suggest. I, I can't have it that you can get a point for being in front before the game's finished. Uh, you know, I, I don't like that because some teams prefer to go heavy in the back end of an innings. So to be in a situation where you, you're rewarding a team that go, oh, we can't win, so let's try and win after 10 overs and get a point, I, I don't like that at all. If they bat the, the next 10 overs can be quite boring, whereas I think if you if you can get the runs in the 16th, it's constantly thing and then you know, sh- oh, the other team are going to try and defend. And then I remember in the old, Ford Ranger days, maybe one in 20 games, guess what? The reverse happened. And it was exciting because they got out trying to go for it. But I just think it, it, it makes the interest go deeper. I think the surge worked. I mean, you can't, I don't want to dwell on the negatives. The surge was excellent because the game changed. We, you know, players like a Dan Christian became a really even more important player because of what he could do and the tactic of when are they going to take it? Do they take it too soon? Should they be, you know, they take it too late? All that sort of stuff was that additional element to it that I think really worked for the competition. All right, a fair bit to take into next year. Thank you for paying attention to it when we were too tired to do so. And um, yeah, we'll check back with you next Jeff, season. Jeff. BBL 11 will be bigger than ever, mate. You you and Colo need to check in. All right, I'll be there. I'm just disappointed the, the lack of commitment that you blokes show. What, what's wrong with watching both? <laughs> Look, we tried. We tried. There were just nights where you just couldn't take it in. It was just sort of colourful wallpaper. And we're like, I need to go to sleep now. Look, so maybe next year it won't be quite so hectic. But uh, thank you both for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you to Damien Fleming and Adam White for taking a little time out of their post-cricket schedule. The lovely sit on the balcony and enjoy a cold beverage and look at the sky and chat about the cricket. It's not the worst 
But now it's time for something that I know the people have been clamouring for. It's been since November 17, the last time we looked at the social media feeds of one Sachin (laughs) Ramesh Tendulkar. And now is the time. Sachin. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Sachin. Sachin. It's Take it away, Jeff. Well, there's a lot to catch up on, so I'm going to be concise here. In terms of cricketers who got a Guernsey, this is how this started. Which cricketers has Sachin Tendulkar wished happy birthday to in, say, the previous week? This is a couple of months' worth of cricketers, so bear with me here. Suresh Raina, Muhammad Kaif, Matali Raj, the Indian women's captain uh, got a go. Ajit Agurka, Shikhar Dawan. Ajit Agurka didn't respond to my messages about appearing in the greatest season that was Rude. Final Frontier. You're not angry at Jasper at Boomer, are you? No, Jazz, Jazz, Jazz would reply. Okay, good. He'd be a, right. he'd be a replier. All right, you're not angry at Shreya Sire? No, how no. could I? Okay, good. good. He's, he's got mad skills. I just wanted to make sure. Yuvraj Singh uh, was in there. Uh, Chris Srikant's son, who that's all I wrote down. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't get your first name. Uh, Kapil Dev got a gig, of course. Raul Dravid, Vinod Kambli, Chiteshwa Pajara. The only non-Indian player in the last two months to get a role from Sachin, Saklane Mushtaq. So Sachin okay. doing his bit for Indo-Pakistan I, I relations. Got, I got a message during the week. Did you know that Sachin once fielded for Pakistan as a 13-year-old? No. You know, like a juniors game or something like that. I don't know exactly the context, but he was a subfielder for Pakistan as a boy. <laughs> and I said to my, uh, my correspondent on Patreon, if I put that on Twitter, that will be the end of my Twitter account. Yeah. That is all for me. Yeah. I will be bombed out of Twitter. It will no longer exist. And I said, I might mention it on the show, and I suppose he will. And so it comes to this, and thus we face the final curtain. <laughs> that. Goodbye, Twitter. Goodbye. <laughs> this is no longer sustainable. Uh, uh. Well, you know that Sachin likes to go down some uh, some weird byways on Twitter. So also getting a birthday gong was Sri Satya Sai Baba, who was the famous guru who claimed to be able to make objects materialise and right. dematerialise in his hand, i.e. very credible. Um, he was a you know a spiritualist who made a lot of money out of people following his cult, I assume. Um, <laughs> so Sachin liked his work, uh, the Indian women's hockey captain Rani Rampal, the Hindu nationalist former government minister and actor Shatrugan Sinha got a run. And then there were about 18 other actors. Sachin's really working the Bollywood angle over those last couple of months. Singers and actors getting a go. Diego Maradona got a farewell um, for dying. So good work, Diego. Sachin liked some of your work. Do you know what we need to do between now and the 19th of August next year? Yeah. Between now and the 19th of August <laughs> next year, we need to find a way to get through to Sachin yeah. and explain <laughs> that it will be on 19 August 1964, <laughs> a man by the name of Dermot Burton was born. I recognise that date. Dermot, we're talking about all the birthdays that Sachin recognises yep. on Twitter, and you've just walked past, you've got your cricket bag, you're ready to go home. It's been a big day here at the Albert Ground. Have you ever met Sachin Tendulkar in any, in any capacity? Any of your media commitments ever come across the great man? I've never met him personally, no. No, I've met some greats. I would count... Uh, this is a uh, name dropping session Uh, (laughs) Uh, I would count Ian Botham as a good friend I would count uh, Sir Vivian Rich oh sorry it's Lord Ian Botham it's not just Sir Ian it's Lord I've told him I will never call him that to his face Sir Vivian Richards yes so they're probably oh 
just you, you get very dirty unless I. Yes, he's no sir, but uh, 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 Shane Keith Ward. <laughs> <laughs> almost forgot about him. Did some yeah. fine yeah. work today on, on Twitter that had you dropped a catch off Flem for a hat trick today, you and Warney would be uh, two and one having. Uh, <laughs> Having that, Flem, Flem, he did have a catch dropped off him at deep backwards square when he, he still has a menacing short ball for a, for a man who looks like Doc Brown. Yes, well, he was hit uh, probably in the vicinity of 95 metres the ball before, <laughs> and then he thought, he thought, fuck mm, that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I might, I might try and dig one in a little bit, and he did, and it got up there, and yeah, someone ran in a little bit far and then did the Watusi and tried to step out and uh, shake it all about and uh, bang, it went over. <laughs> One of the many things I love about you, Dem, is you still, is it the fifth 11 you captain? You're still running around it week in, week out playing Saturday cricket? Well, it, it is the fourth 11s at uh, 11 at Heather Hill Cricket Club in the MPCA. But my, uh, my clawback about the grade of cricket we play is of the nine other teams we play, eight of them, it's their thirds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, what are you playing in? Oh, we play against thirds. Yeah. <laughs> but it's our fourth. Yeah. Demi, hit the road. It's been a great Bob. day with you on the field here at the Albert Ground. It's been a bloody privilege and it's so nice to take a catch off your bowling as well. <laughs> yes, uh, I didn't get too many caught close in around the bat. All of them were caught within one to two metres of the boundary line. <laughs> yeah. All two of them. Better than over. Thank you, bowled out for a sex of joining the final word, Demi Brent, unexpectedly, but a lovely cameo <laughs> as we wind towards the end of another podcast, Jeff Lemon. Yeah, well, I was just looking at Sachin's farewells as we yeah. say farewell to Dermot Brenton. See you later. There was a farewell to Diego Maradona, as mentioned, a farewell to Vijay Shirke, who was a seamer from Mumbai, and a farewell to... Parthiv Patel, who retired, not died, but you know, two deaths in one retirement. So they were the three parties. Um, I think he's a colleague of ours now, isn't he? Is he? He's joined the cricket media. He's working for Crickbuzz. Okay, very good. Party time. And then, of course, there was uh, Sachin's greetings to all our Indian Navy personnel and their families on Navy Day. Um, <laughs> he also rolled a tweet out for Happy Army Day. So good to see all the branches. I don't know when Air Force Day is. I think he did Air Force Day a few months ago, actually. So he's got all three covered. He also did a Merry Christmas. Uh, video in a Santa outfit, so that was good stuff from Sachin. He supported Road Safety Week and was big on Republic Day. And then the last, the most recent tweet indeed was this this fine piece of political um, philosophy. India's sovereignty cannot be compromised. External forces can be spectators, but not participants. Indians know India and should decide for India. Let's remain united as a nation. It's, what was the... Uh... I don't know the context, but it's, it's some sort of very bland dog whistling is what it sounds yeah, like to me. I, yeah, I don't know what it's about, but I feel as though there were a number of tweets along those lines yeah. at the time. Maybe we should do our research before reflecting on that. It might mm. actually be a good thing. Who's to know? Who's to know? Anyway, that's uh, that's happy birthday, Sachin, for another however long it is until I do it again. Beautifully done. I reckon we should try and make that... We should go back to the monthly model, I think, mm. there's quite a lot there. But yep. the fact that Dermy intervened, uh, perfect timing. Another yep. one sporting superstar to another. So a little bit of... Uh, Sachin didn't win five flags in the daytime and the nighttime though that's no, what must be didn't. said he didn't he he won a few other things um, <laughs> but did not do that never <laughs> Sachin's wizard cup form was never really up oh the, the, the night premiership 
meant something, as, as mm-hmm. Dermy was explaining earlier. Back in the days when footy clubs didn't have any money, if you won the night flag, it could actually make a big difference to the club staying in the black, and they won five of them, didn't they? So, <laughs> to their credit, when it mattered. So, some uh, some lightning rounds, some notes and correspondence yep. at the end. It's good to see uh, Tim Payne bowling 10 overs in a club 50 what over game. What is going game. on there? I mean, I, Started know, out bowling seam up I'm and ended up it. bowling off spin. I'm all for it, but it's not as though club cricket is fucking park cricket. Yeah. It's still very good cricket. Tim yeah. Payne is playing. He's a very good cricketer. He plays yeah. for Australia. If you're playing for your club and you're you're like, okay, we're just going to give the ball to a bloke who's a wicketkeeper, that jarred with me, actually. I'm like, yeah. what, is this a... Was that done for social media clicks? I don't know. It, it didn't seem to work for me that he'd be considered to be his club team's fifth best bowler. Look, maybe he is. I mean, the maybe spell went all right. It. He was something like 10 overs, one for 30. Maybe, look, mate, and who's to know the extent to which that was because they were facing Tim Payne? Yeah. The psychological. Yeah, maybe, maybe he was they were intimidated. Ahead. Maybe he's playing four-day chess. Yeah, yeah maybe that's, how, that's what he wanted them to think because he started off bowling seam up with three wides in a row, <laughs> which wasn't a great start, but apparently they didn't get too many off the bat from him and then towards the end he went to the off-breaks and got one bowled a half-tracker and got it clubbed down the ground and caught it long on. So everything came up apples. All's well that ends well. <laughs> what else, Jeff? Um, we were talking about Bannerman. Oh, yes. Uh, so some Bannerman attention. A scorecard was sent through to us from a local comp last weekend from a correspondent. I've only got the first name of Brett. Do we know which Brett? Who? Brett who? Don't know. Okay. Sorry, Brett. We've lost your last name in the notes. 74% of the inning score Brett made on this My Cricket link that I can't open. Um, but you know more about this than well, me. Well, I, I simply know that when I opened the link very briefly before that exactly that. Uh, and if you have seen a completed innings with more than 74% of the runs scored, please send it through. Because there's the Bannerman, hmm. 67.35. But that's only at test level. Hmm. If someone's done better than that at club level, we want to hear about it. Much as it is, they always track in wisdom the highest score in a recorded game. There was the 1,000 made mm-hmm. in a schoolboy game a few years ago, and for a long time A.E. Stoddart, the great Stoddy held it in England for his 481, which we've talked about many, many times, but the, the same should apply for the Bannerman. We want to know where the highest percentage of a completed innings has been played and by whom and we want to get him on the show. Now we asked on the Daily Show about batsmen being out hit wicket to end a <laughs> test match. This was very good. And Tom Melia has done the digging for us and said it has happened on one occasion. A, a test match in 1955 when the West Indies were touring New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand were made to follow on and Tony McGibbon was out. It was the 10th wicket to fall in the third innings of the match, the second innings of New Zealand's batting. Hit wicket last to go so it has happened once before tremendous well i'm glad it's happened in a way uh, therefore i'm glad it didn't happen uh, mm. because that would have ruined it yeah i want it to happen once and i'm glad it's happened there once and once only and uh, our last bit of correspondence from praveen gorajala mm. who wrote to us about watching cricket from outside the fence at old trafford in his car has also been doing some slightly more useful things like uh, setting up local cricket clubs to be vaccination centers in the uk um, so that's been written up by the cricketer and he says that his his whole practice the team at his practice at st Fillian's medical center had been vaccinating as volunteers along with some other local practice at cricket clubs in Manchester to make people make sure people get the jab. That's a great thing they've been doing as far as finding a way to use cricket clubs as a vaccine centre. So well played to you, Prav. We, uh, we appreciate your work. We all do. And so it comes to this, and thus we face the final curtain. Uh, this, this is the end of the show. Night has fallen, 
down towards St Kilda. The solid scoreboards line is 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 glowing, a sort of lime green from the scoreboard on the far side of the ground. The the big L'Oreal building is glowing at us, and uh, you know the the sky is turning that dusky sort of shade of deep blue with some light fringes right down towards the horizon. It's been a very good day. It's been a nice day on The Final Word. It's a podcast on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. Lots of other shows if you want to check them out. If you like the show and want to support it, patron.com slash the final word is the place to be. You can be part of our quiz show by sending us a nerd pledge, a number that we have to work out what it means in relation to cricket. And uh, thanks to Adam, for being with me during these hours into the evening. I, I know it's not always easy when you have a small child to take care of, but you've managed it today. It was lovely to see Derm on the way out. It was a beautiful day uh, here. Hopefully there'll be opportunities to do these things more often. I reckon next time, Jeff, that we have a media game, whether it's here or in the UK, we'll stream it on our YouTube channel. Our YouTube yeah, channel, search Final Word Cricket. We're doing a daily show there for the England-India test matches the India England daily we're calling it starting again on Saturday we'll also have a story time up on the weekend probably in reality coming out on Sunday or Monday because I'm taking a couple of days off but that'll be up at some stage and there's some fantastic numbers coming up uh, through that as you mentioned before patreon.com forward slash the final word and if as we mentioned in the middle of the show you want to be involved with what we're doing and partner with us through 2021 with one of the I suppose one of the most well-listened-to cricket podcasts in the world. Find a word cricket at gmail.com. That's it. You suppose. You suppose. Look, it's true. I know it's no true. No false modesty on this show. We think we're pretty good. And I, I guess you must if you're listening all the way to the end. Or you just fell asleep and left it on, in which case, I'm sorry. But I hope you have very nice dreams. This has been The Final Word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. We'll see you next time. Good night. So you know what I meant. I had to go about it.